Hello, and welcome to the Pragmatic Live podcast series, where we tackle the biggest challenges facing today's product management and product marketing professionals with some of the best minds in the industry. I'm Callie Frisbee, the content and social strategist at Pragmatic Institute, and I am your guest host for today. Uh, Very excited to be joined by Daryl Johnson. Daryl is the SVP and Chief Marketing Officer at Cerner Corporation. Great to have you with us today, Daryl. Thanks for joining. Thanks for having me, Kelly. Glad to be here. And I'm excited because, you know, today's topic is all around customer listening, right? Which I think, you know, is arguably now more than ever uh, more important because of this pandemic and, and everything that's happening and sort of all of these unpredictable trends, right? So um, really excited to begin to unpack this. Um, so why don't we get started with uh, Daryl, just, you know, digging into what customer listening is in, in your awards and, and why you feel it's so important. Well, it's the ultimate. As marketers, um, if we're not listening to customers uh, and then translating what the customer wants, into what we can offer, then we're not doing our job. Uh, that's where it all starts. You know, and, and Kelly, the interesting thing too is um, I think that I've been at a lot of different companies and I would say that a lot of marketers really think that they are doing that well. Um, but the reality is, is that uh, translation is where I see a lot of things fall down. So it's great to listen to people, but then you have to translate it into Why is this important for the customer? What problem are we trying to solve? Will they pay for a solution that we're bringing to market? Is it something that we can offer them that competitively differentiates us from something else they can get from a competitor? So it's not only listening to the clients, but it's also translating that into uh, something that your company can offer to meet the need of what your clients and customers want you to offer. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And, you know, I think it's like, well, well, how do you even go about that? Right. Like how, how do you go about creating a, a customer centric organization? Well, you intimately know your, you got to really intimately know your clients and customers. Uh, we, I, the reason I say clients is that Cerner, we use the word clients. And so, um, and so you'll I'll probably interchange the two words, but um, at the end of the day, uh, sometimes your, your customers know what they want and sometimes they don't. And, and that means it's a little bit harder in the, in, in the time of COVID, but uh, I would say that um, if you're not out there in the field, in your clients and working environment and observing, a lot of times you will hear what they say they want, but a lot of times they're not knowing what, exactly what they want. So you have to observe, you have to see what challenges they have, you have to listen to them. And then when you can observe and listen and put it into context and translate, that provides a better picture uh, of being able to meet their needs. Yeah. You know, we talk about a couple of different methods, you know, that we can go about customer listening. Maybe what are some of your favorites? I mean, I know your impressive, your impressive uh, pedigree, you know, you've had a, a lot of experience in this. What are some of your favorite ways to, to go about that? Well, one of the things that I learned early in my career is that I would go out and talk to clients and customers and they would say, um, here's what you want, what you want you to do. And I would run back to where I was working at and I would get our engineering group all excited to build it and deliver it. And then I'd bring it back and I'd say, well, now you owe us, you know, X for us delivering this solution to you. And quite often they would say, well, yeah, we wanted this, but we never said we were going to pay for it. <laughs> so one of the things I learned really quickly in my career was when you have customers telling you that they want something, you got to figure out how important it is and what, what's the magnitude of the problem that you're solving. And you really should ask them, are you willing to pay for it? 
Uh, and if they're not willing to pay for it, it's probably something that might be bothering them. It might be something that they want, but it's not solving the most urge, urgent and pressing issues for them. You got to dig and dig and dig and understand what the most urgent and pressing issues are, things that they're willing to pay money for. And at the end of the day, if you're not asking that question of, hey, if we solve this, will you be willing to pay for it? You got to ask that question. And that's one thing that I learned early in my career is follow up with that question. And if they're not willing to pay for it, there's probably something more pressing that they would be willing to pay for. Mm. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. And then, you know, getting back to sort of creating these customer centric organizations, right? I mean, how, how have you found success? I mean, what are maybe the, the critical roles that you found that, are, that help you achieve that success? Things along those lines. It's listening, um, and you brought it up at the very beginning. And listening, um, it's not all about product. It's all the interactions that that um, you bring and you have with your customers. And so what I mean by that, Kelly, is that, is that uh, I look at marketing as really the, the brand gatekeepers. Uh, if we're not thinking about our brand every single day, and it's the satisfaction of our customers with the interactions with our brand every single day, then, again, we're probably not... Uh, being the best marketer that we can be. And it's little frustrations of, I call in and I have to sit on hold for two minutes, uh, or people have hung up on me before, or it's really complicated to uh, understand your, your website, or um, your, your prices are, are overpriced relative to competitive offerings. Or, I mean, it, it's so many things, Callie, that you have to listen to, uh, to figure out how to drive that that customer experience end to end it's got to be an end to end uh what we what we say here at cerner is turn that frown into a smile if they're not smiling about you about your company your brand your products how they interact with you you have room to improve and it's our job to dig into those areas of where we need to improve mm -hmm. and then how do you dig into them you know i just feel like customer listening it's such a huge umbrella right and you you talk about the, the buyer experience and how, how imperative it is to really understand sort of those, those key facets. I mean, what else can you, can you do where you kind of uh, lift the veil a little bit and get a little bit deeper? Well, there's, there's you know, kind of digging into this a little bit more is that uh, going back to the listening piece is that I believe that most marketers do a fairly good job of listening, engaging with their with their customers. I talked a little bit about, you gotta go and ask them again, would you be willing to pay for it? The other thing, Kelly, that's really also important is you gotta tell them what you're not gonna do. And one of the things I think sometimes marketers forget to do is that if clients or customers start rattling off a hundred things they want you to do, but you can only do 50 of them, you gotta go back to them and say, hey, are we aligned on these are the 50 things that we're gonna do, not only for you, but we've talked to hundreds, if not thousands of our customers, they kind of put a voting system in place. And here's what we kind of rallied around to say, here's the top 50. Have them look at the list and get alignment on that list. And if they look at that list and they say, you're way off, these aren't my top priorities, then you got to recalibrate. Most of the time, when you talk to you know, a statistical number of client, uh, customers and clients, and they tell you what's most important, and then you go back to them and say, hey, the hundred things that you told us we're gonna you wanted us to work on, these are the 50 we're gonna work on. We're not ignoring the other 50, but we're just prioritizing these 50. They would really, really appreciate that closed feedback loop because if you don't close that that loop, they're gonna think you're working on all hundred. And most likely you're not. Yep. 
Yeah, and who, you know, who do you think are, are the important people to kind of, um, to kind of bring into that conversation, right, of prioritizing, you know, out of the thousands of things they want, here are the 50, who are the stakeholders in that that you find are most important to, um, to you know, to, to include? Well, I've tried a lot of different variations of answering that question in my career. Um, and so for, for the listeners here, I'm in my 50s. And so I've worked with some pretty large companies. I've worked for General Electric, I've worked for Medtronic, and now with Cerner. So all Fortune 500 companies. You know, I think the biggest um, and most efficient, um, uh, biggest impact is you get advisory groups together and have customers talk to each other. Um, and it doesn't mean you have to get a hundred people together, but I would say if you can get 15 to 25 clients together, customers together and have them, um, validate and discuss, uh, then you would come to a, a pretty quick, uh, agreement on what the most important, um, items are, uh, when you do it individually, and then you go back and you try to translate that to the other 24 or the other 20, you lose a lot of efficiency, speed to market, but you lose a lot of translation uh, for what the client speak is. So I found the easiest thing to do is get a bunch of uh, customers together and have them talk to each other. Yeah, no, that's great. And at Pragmatic, we always talk about the CAPs, right? The customer advisory boards and yep. kind of what we can learn from them. Um, so maybe Daryl, like if you can dive in a little deeper, like if you were putting a cab together, what are you looking for, right? To make sure that you kind of have the overall voice of, of the customer. Well, there's two groups um, from a customer perspective. There's, I would say there's a group of, executives uh, and you can mean call us a c-suite uh, we typically break it down in our in our group is is you know ceos and cfos and um ctos uh, chief technology officers uh etc chief medical officers those uh individuals are looking for something different for the ones that actually use the product um one group is looking at what's my return on investment what's my value what's my impact how do i explain to my board of directors people that are writing the checks that i'm getting uh, a value outcome in this partnership and then there's the other group of people that are actually at the keyboard uh at the computer using our technologies we really uh try to address both um we have found that if you talk value with one group but you don't talk uh uh, usability with the other group, that's a failure. If you talk usability with one group and you don't articulate it into the value and the ROI, that's a failure. So you really, we really look at trying to uh, uh, get both groups together. We do them separately. Um, some people say you should do them together. Uh, we have found that that hasn't worked very well. Uh, the C-suite, they're not at the keyboard. They're not at the computer. They're not using the product. They don't need to see demos. They don't need to see what they need to click on. They'll trust the users and listen to the users. So we really uh, go after two different um, uh, customer bases and get and get those types of um, uh, that type of information from. Yeah, that's great. And then Daryl, just to kind of you know touch back on this customer listening, you know, again, it's such a it's such a big a big thing to unpack. I mean, how, how do you know that you're delivering, right? Like, what is your measurement of success that you know that hey, you know, we have done this successfully? You measure. I mean, to, to put it simply, you got to go back. Um, and, and, you know, it's not just measure at the end. For us, it's the whole entire process. So we tell them, go back to the example. Hey, you wanted 100 things. Here's the 50 things we're going to work on. Then when you start working on those things, you, you, you make sure you communicate with them on a regular basis so they understand where you are in the process. You send them wireframes. You send them prototypes. You send them demos. Hey, is this what you wanted? We're just wanting to validate. This is how we've designed it. What do you think about the design? What do you think about the user experience? Is it intuitive to use? You got to keep them in the loop. Then when they get excited about wanting to take it, 
uh, take our products, they buy our products, they adopt our products, they utilize our products, then you got to go back and say, this is the impact in your organization. This is the value that you, we've created. Uh, and you measure it. And we have a, a very sophisticated way to uh, measure uh, the, the, the software products that our clients use um, with data, with the power of data. So we go back and we say, here was your baseline. You used our products. Here's the improvement so that they can uh, you know, close the loop on the value that we've created and we deliver our promise. And that's, that's how we keep them in the loop from, from beginning to end. Yeah. I think it's really important, especially just to, you know, just to remain responsive with them and let them know that they are a part of the process and we are, we are hearing them and, and, uh, you know, moving accordingly. Right. Yeah. And um, I think, and I think, I'm sorry to interrupt Kelly. And I think that that is, um, and that's where I think we can connect uh, the two groups. When we go back to the group that wants the value and the ROI, and then you got the user groups that want usability, intuitive use of design and solve you know, daily problems. Um, when you then connect both groups, that alignment in the organization removes friction. And you got to remove friction. Marketers have to remove friction. And if you don't remove friction with showing and, and, and um, proving that they made a wise decision and we've, we've helped them in their strategies, what problems they want to solve, um, that just makes the relationship that much stronger and really uh, helps us create a partnership relationship versus a transaction, transactional relationship. Yeah. And I, I love that you talk about like reducing friction because obviously that's, that's so important, right, in our messaging and, and moving forward. But, you know, this is such a, there's, there's so many hands that, that take part in, in making this a success. I mean, how, how do you kind of uh, give clear handoffs and responsibilities to ensure, you know, the QA, the quality assurance throughout the process? Yeah, it goes back to our end-to-end um, -end process and uh, marketing, going back to marketing really being the brand gatekeepers. Uh, all interactions with our company can have a potential for a, a negative brand uh, impact, especially, you know, and, and you know this, uh, especially in this world of social media, where anybody can post anything about something that is not satisfying them with your brand. So from that perspective, uh, not only when we, we do this end-to-end -end process of engaging with our customers and telling them, hey, here's the top 50, we engage with them, show them the prototype, show them wireframing, show them demos, et cetera. We're also then making sure internally, we're also uh, engaging and aligning with all of our functions throughout the organization. Uh, we do that with our consulting group. Uh, those are the ones that have to go out and educate and train and show our clients how to use the products. We do that with communications, so our communications group. We do that with our sales team, so they know uh, what are, how to message, how to talk about it, how to talk to the value proposition. So all of that internal speak uh, is also uh, connected the, connecting the dots so that the experience, the variation uh, in the experience in working with Cerner that's what we want to eliminate because variation inevitably leads to poor quality and poor experience. So you just have to be religious and re relentless in making sure that that variation does not exist. Yeah. And you bring up a really, you know, a really good point about, you know, those people on social media, those loud voices, that's what we call the, the noisy 20, right? Like those people that are uh, always giving their feedback. And then you have that quiet 80 where you want their feedback, but they're not as much on the, on the forefront. I mean, what are some ways that you can go about um, making sure that we're hearing them just as loudly as, as that smaller percentage that's more vocal? Well, there's, yeah, it, it is true. And I, and in my personal life, I, I 
succumb to that um, challenge of when, when I receive excellent service, I tend to leave a big tip, but I forget to go tell the manager I received excellent service. And, and to your point is that so many times it's when you go complain to the manager when you get bad service. And, and that's something that I try to do in my personal life. But to your point is that we have found that uh, when you do everything I was just talking about, is, which is the relentless pursuit of engaging and connecting and informing your uh, customers on what you're doing, why you're doing it. And, and have them engaged in the process of innovation. Then when you deliver it and you deliver against your promise, it's at that time we tell them, go tell a friend. Tell somebody else that we uh, solved a problem for you, that we, we helped you, we delivered our promise. Uh, and you know, we make it easy for them to do that. Uh, and they quite often, they take that upon themselves to do that because they have had an enjoyable experience. So the volume of the silent 80 gets reduced. And when you get more of the silent 80 that actually go out there and speak on your behalf, then you can put things in perspective and you don't only hear the disgruntled 20%, you actually get a nice counterbalance of the silent 80%. So yeah, Daryl, some, you know, a real world example of, you know, that, that turn that frown upside down where you were kind of able to go in, hear your customer and, and help, um, you know, change, change things around. Yeah, I've changed my perspective a lot about on this is that um, we just talked about the silent 20%. You know, if somebody already has a frown, you're not going to potentially turn that frown upside down because they now expect you to rectify and fix the situation. So a lot of times in that situation, uh, you know, it's the right thing to do. They're frustrated that they even got into that situation. So when you correct it, it's like, well, it's about time you corrected it. And they're, they're still a little bit salty that it even happened. So what I would say is, is turn that frown upside down is that they haven't had a negative experience with Cerner, for example. Maybe there's a problem that has been uh, nagging at them and nobody has really been able to fix that solution uh, or fix that problem. So you got to start at the very beginning of figuring out what their frustrations are, what problems are, are need to be solved from innovation. And then that's where I'm talking about the entire process of, of getting them included in the, in the beginning, get them as a part of the journey. That's where you have an opportunity to turn a frustration into a smile um, because you, you really engaged, you listened, you, you, you brought them along on the journey uh, if you bring them along on the journey and deliver something and you totally miss the boat and then you got to fix it, you're not going to get a smile. You're just going to get a, well, you should have been less right the first time. So I want to be able to figure out how to take a situation that's frustrating them today. And in our process of engagement and listening and innovating and bringing new products and solutions to market, then you do it right the first time. And then when you do it right over and over and over and over again, that's where they just are delighted um, consistently and continuously. And that's where they see a valued partnership and really truly enjoy working with you. And that's where you tend to get a lot more smiles. Mm -hmm. I love it. Well, Daryl, thank you so much. It was so great to get to spend this time together. I think that there was a ton of like terrific insights and, and takeaway here that, uh, that our listeners can really start implementing um, as soon as possible. So, you know, we certainly appreciate getting to pick your brain. Yeah, thank you. And uh, I've worked with Pragmatic for a long time and, and it's a great uh, set of tools. And um, there's a lot of processes out there. And there's sometimes they're 
simple, sometimes a little bit more complex, but there's a lot of processes out there on, on how to be best of class marketers and really truly listen and engage with, with customers and deliver results. Fantastic. Well, that does it for today's episode. Thank you to all of our listeners. And don't forget to join us every week where we tackle another great topic designed to help elevate your product, your company, and your career. Take care.